This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, friends, it's Annie Grace, and I am the author of This Naked Mind, and I am answering your questions. And today we have a question from um, a user, she uses the name Healthy, or he, I don't actually know, but Healthy asks, here's a question from you, Annie Grace, how long did it take for the miserable cravings to go away? I know intellectually that it could be a couple of years. At three to four months of alcohol-free living, I'm having a new wave of strong cravings crashing down on me, almost always associated with stress. You mentioned that for you, it was also difficult. Somehow I need to hear from folks who had difficult times but pushed through it. I've had a very difficult week, and right now all I want is a large glass of wine. Ugh, go away, alcohol voice. Um, So I think that there's a few different aspects of cravings. There's obviously the physical craving, which at three to four months off alcohol, it's almost certainly not a physical craving. And then there's the mental and emotional craving. And in terms of a physical craving, I mean, that can... It takes, from what I've understood, and I'm definitely not a doctor, but the research I've done, it says it takes up to 10 days on some instances for alcohol to fully leave your body. And so you could absolutely have physical cravings during those times. And physical cravings, you know, would be clearly very physical. So um, I experience personally anxiety and just kind of restlessness and sleeplessness and stuff like that but they do go away over time. I think that the craving that can be much more difficult, obviously, is the psychological and emotional craving. And there's all sorts of things that go into a psychological and emotional craving. And most often a craving happens in of that nature that's triggered by something that you've associated for a long time with alcohol and with the benefits of drinking. So healthy says that it's almost always induced by stress. And we've talked about this before, but you have a lot of different senses. You know, you have your sense of smell, your sense of sight. You also have this sense that's called the hedonic sense. And Dr. Kevin O'Cauley really discusses this. And the hedonic sense is a sense of pleasure. And a lot of times the hedonic sense can be used to, you know, it, it can counteract stress as pleasure can counteract stress. And stress is obviously an incredibly toxic thing. I mean, it's responsible for all sorts of diseases and untold kind of mental damage and whatnot. And so your body under stress is not a happy place. And there's this, you know, school of thought that I find really interesting that it used to be, you know, fight, flight, or freeze were kind of our three responses to stress. But in today's culture, we don't generally run away and we don't generally freeze and just become inapt. And Um, you know, and, and so we don't deal like we used to with stress. Like if a mouse is walking through the forest and a tiger comes and the mouse can either stay really still until that tiger goes by or it can run away and, um, this fight or flight and the mouse obviously isn't going to fight the tiger, but that's kind of how we deal with stress. Now we often do kind of just put it inside, we bottle it up, we freeze, and there's no actual outlet for this. So when we become really, really stressed, that's often a time, and this has been proven in all sorts of studies, 
when we can actually become addicted to something. And the reason this is, it goes back to our hedonic sense. So if you think of your sense of temperature, it keeps you, you know, regulated throughout the day, 98.6 degrees going up and down. And then if you were to give a, get a fever, that whole temperature floor goes up. So now you're at, say, 101, but you're still going up and down at 101. And with the hedonic sense, during normal life, when you're not extremely stressed out, you have um, your hedonic threshold and it's, it's at this level. And things like, you know, a nice meal or relaxing with a cup of tea or taking a walk can break through that hedonic threshold and relieve your stress. Now, if you're really super stressed out, that entire threshold actually elevates. So stress makes the hedonic threshold elevate. So suddenly the things that used to provide relief, you know, taking a walk, having a good meal, they're not actually hitting that threshold. And so they're not actually providing the same type of stress relief. And again, this is all from Dr. Kevin McCauley, who says it much more eloquently than I do in his DVD, Pleasure Unwoven. So if you want to learn more about it, go there. But the bottom line is that your body becomes really desperate for something to counteract that stress. And so it looks for things that can artificially break through that threshold. And the things that can artificially break through that threshold are, of course, drugs and alcohol. And so when you've used drugs and alcohol for stress, you have a learned response to that. You have a learned memory that drugs and alcohol can break through that and can relieve your stress. So healthy here is craving when she's really stressed out. And, and that definitely, it's been a learned response. And it is really hard to... Um, overcome that because your brain in a sense is releasing dopamine and it's sort of equated alcohol with this stress reliever. Now, the important thing is that alcohol actually increases stress over time and this has been proven in all sorts of studies. So although it does feel and seem like a band-aid and your body is telling you you want it to relieve stress, it's not something that's gonna solve the problem by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, it's gonna be like putting a band-aid on you know, a wound and actually letting it fester. It will make it worse over time when that wound should really be dried out. So what you need to do is you need to find alternative ways to relieve stress. And, um, and that's, you know, it, it's an undertaking. You need to find what works for you because there's all sorts of different things. Now, the two main ways that, uh, you know, everybody sort of universally says do relieve stress are exercise, really getting your heart rate up, releasing those endorphins, and pretty much, you know, thousands of studies show that exercise will relieve stress. And then of course, mindfulness. And the unique thing about mindfulness, and that's just really brain exercise. It's really exercising your brain to allow it to focus. Um, and the interesting thing about mindfulness and just trying to focus, and there's all sorts of different ways to do it. So it doesn't have to be, you know, with incense and legs crossed and, and meditation, woo woo type stuff. But it really is, if you think of it as exercising your brain, when you spend periods in silence trying to focus on your breath, you actually increase the part of your brain that directly counteracts that stress. And I was actually reading a study earlier today where they did a craving uh, level and the craving level over time of somebody meditating 16 days in a row for as little as 10 to 20 minutes at a time, cravings dropped significantly by eight points on this study. And 
Um, the interesting thing, and they've seen this in brain scans and whatnot, is that mindfulness can actually increase the size of your prefrontal cortex. And that's the part of your brain that is damaged through addiction. And that's the part of your brain that helps you make good decisions and overcome cravings. So, you know, somehow if you're craving during stress, you have to relieve that stress in another way. And um, just trying to willpower yourself out of it without tackling the stress head on is is generally not going to work so i would recommend you know the two most proven things are mind exercise or mindfulness and then physical exercise which can really do the same thing um i also think that there's a whole aspect to to this craving that isn't as neurological that isn't as physical that's more uh emotional you know the emotions you've attached to it and again i think that if you have quit drinking but you retain an unconscious desire for alcohol you will have these cravings ongoing and that's why people can report having them for years because what happens when you are you know in my work what i've kind of posited is that when you're drinking and then you reach a point in your relationship with alcohol where it's taking more than it's giving and you've decided you don't want to be drinking as much anymore you make this really great conscious decision to quit or cut back Fabulous. So you've made this conscious decision, then all of a sudden, you know, a stressed out week happens, it's Friday night, and you really want this glass of wine, and you don't really get it because you've made this decision to quit or cut back, you know, in the long term, it's not doing you many favors, but you still want to reach for that glass of wine. Well, my theory is that actually you have these very deeply ingrained that you've had conditioned into your mind since childhood, unconscious beliefs that alcohol is key to relaxation, it's key to enjoyment, and it has a lot of benefits. And these beliefs are below your conscious awareness. So they're, they're not something you can easily access. So even though you completely consciously know that alcohol is just stressing you out, that, that your you know, levels of use aren't doing you any favors, you retain this unconscious belief. And the thing about your unconscious mind is that that's where your desires originate from. So, you know, we don't often consciously choose who to go fall in love with or, you know, things like that because your desires originate from this unconscious part of your brain. And so if you retain this deeply unconscious desire for alcohol and these deeply unconscious beliefs that it's key to relaxing, key to enjoyment, key to having a good time, you suddenly have this um, conflict between what your conscious mind is telling you and your unconscious mind is telling you. And this conflict is cognitive dissonance. And it's almost like you're arguing with yourself or fighting with yourself. You want something that you don't really want. And this is one of the most baffling, confusing, painful parts of addiction is you have this war going on in your mind. And so cravings can completely come from that. You know, even though you consciously don't want to have a drink, you want to have a drink. And that doesn't make any sense. And it's almost as if you've become divided inside yourself. And it's a really painful place to be. And in my book, um, and we use something called liminal thinking. And liminal is the space between your conscious and your unconscious, your subliminal and your liminal. And with liminal thinking and all things that are unconscious, once you bring them methodically into your conscious awareness, you can diffuse them. You know, they, they come out, you can say, okay, I have this unconscious belief that alcohol is relaxing me. I have this conscious desire and, and knowledge that that's not really true, but I still 
think alcohol is going to be key to relaxation, so I crave it on a Friday night after a stressful week of work. What do we do to change that belief? We actually dig into why it was formed, what experiences you, have you had, what conclusions have you drawn, what sort of things have happened inside your brain to form this belief, and then we compare it against reality in the term of you know, different studies into what alcohol really does from a relaxation perspective and just comparing it against reality. And that method can undo and change your unconscious belief. So then you go forward in your life with, you know, kind of this whole mind, which is what, you know, I'll call a naked mind of just really being whole and having this instance where both your conscious and your unconscious um, have come together. So I think that's really interesting. And that's, that's my answer to cravings. And I wish you the best. Cravings aren't easy. But I think with the right tools to manage stress and to address your unconscious desires, you can absolutely overcome them. I've got a lot of comments on this. Hello, Neil from the UK. Um, and then, yeah, Stephanie, totally. Stress is such a, such a trigger. And Stephanie says there's a mindfulness course on Audible. Very cool. So Audible, check it out. Mindfulness course. And... Um, yeah, that drinking friends truly believe that their alcohol consumption is healthy for them. I think, I think that there is that belief. I think I had that belief. I think I had it in, in hindsight, looking back, it was part of my defense mechanism. There was a part of me that knew that I didn't want to be drinking as much as I was. There was a part of me that knew when I woke up the next morning with a hangover that there's no way that could have been healthy for me. Um, but in order to combat that, and again, having this part of you that thinks, oh, well, I know this isn't actually healthy for me, but I'm not willing to admit that. And then this part of me that needs to like make sense of my behavior, um, we invent all sorts of excuses. And it's not, Stephanie, that your friends don't believe what they're saying they do. They definitely do. That's what makes it so dangerous is that I did truly believe my own excuses. And I think that's what happens. Cognitive dissonance is, in fact, one of the most painful human conditions because, you know, if you imagine you're on a bus and you get in an argument with somebody on the seat next to you, that's incredibly painful. Even witnessing a fight on the street is painful. Like we don't like conflict as human beings. So cognitive dissonance is conflict inside ourselves, really painful stuff. And so we tr come up with all these excuses that we believe we're not, we're not even lying to ourselves. We honestly just have two different truths when we're in cognitive dissonance. Um, and so I think that's, it's a really interesting point, Stephanie. Thank you so much. Um, thank you all for tuning in. Again, this is Annie Grace with This Naked Mind. Definitely post questions in the comment. Message me questions. I'm happy to answer questions as long as they keep coming in. Have a great day. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.